The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's good, everybody? Welcome to another off-day debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show, the first Wednesday off-day debrief. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero from Niners Nation, and with me, as always, my partner in crime, Brandon Lee Gowden from Bleeding Green Nation. What is up, DLG? Stats, I think people were probably panicking when they didn't see the oddcast in their feeds on Tuesday like normal, but obviously, if you didn't know, we're scaling down a little bit for the summer, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday for the shows here on the SB Nation NFL show. So instead of Tuesdays, for the time being, we'll be here with you on Wednesdays. Yes, we are not going anywhere, but you do have to wait the extra day. We've got a ton to do today because it is June 2nd, which means we no longer have to wait for the post-June 1st transactions. All that stuff is now on the table. So we're going to go over a couple of names that we could expect to see moved fairly recently. Somebody has a beef with us. That would be Kyle Barber from Baltimore Beatdown. Has a big problem with the, the trash you've been talking about, Lamar Jackson, BLG. So he wanted to come on and sort of defend his guy. So we're going to let that happen. And the odds for Coach of the Year have come out. And so the front runner is somebody that we think has no shot to win. So we're going to go over those and give you maybe our picks for Coach of the Year as well. But let's start at the beginning. It is June 2nd, and the two names that you hear the most potentially being on the move, BLG, Julio Jones and your guy from Philly, Zach Ertz. Yeah, and, and it's important to note here, you know, June 1st being a significant date in the NFL with the, you know, the money, the extra money that gets freed up for this year. Now, there's still a, a, a dead money. There's still ramifications to the future. It's not like a, a free lunch, as my co-host on BGN Radio, uh, Jimmy Kempsey, likes to say, but it does impact the cap this year. So, obviously, we're expecting... Although, you know, we haven't seen anything as really this podcast this morning just yet, but we are expecting, you know, some kind of like a, an extra wave, you know, maybe some free agent signings. There's still some guys out there like Richard Sherman, for example, is still out there, some you know, quality players. As far as Julio goes, you know, we're still all waiting for that shoe to drop stats. We've seen buzz about like it could happen this week and we're still waiting. And your Seahawks, your favorite team in the NFC <laughs> West are the odds on favorites now. So, uh, first of all, how do you feel about that if he go, comes to your division? And secondly, I've seen you very much against the 49ers trading for Julio. Yes. Um, 
If Seattle got him, I would be obviously concerned because they play in the NFC West and that would just add to the what is going to be an absolute slog of teams battling it out all year. Is that like a way for the Seahawks to kind of solve their Russell Wilson discontent issues? That's the bigger thing for me, because I'm sort of hoping that this is the last year that Russ is in Seattle in the 49ers division. Well, if they bring in Julio Jones, they could say to him, look, like we're helping you see like we are making an effort to fix this. And that could mean that he ends up staying in Seattle, which is the much bigger problem for me, rather than just adding another great wide receiver. That's a good way to put it. I don't know that that solves that or because I've seen people say that with Aaron Rodgers, too. It's like, oh, just trade for Julio Jones and then he's happy. Like, I don't think it's that simple, uh, especially with Rodgers, maybe a little bit more so with Russ. I don't know. It's hard to say, but I, I think it comes down to winning, right? Like if you trade for him and then let's say you win a title, then maybe or, you know, maybe you get to the Super Bowl, then like, yeah, maybe that does help it. But I mean, if you just get him and you're not winning, then I don't that's not going to solve anything. Uh, so I don't know. That's a, you know, a magical cure all. But um, speaking of the odds, too, you know, the Titans here have been mentioned a lot. And I think they just there's such a logical fit. Like they need more help uh, next to A.J. Brown there. And it's kind of weird because, you know, they're a running team. Uh, they you know rank towards the bottom of the league in passing attempts these past two years here with Derrick Henry. So maybe it's kind of more of a shift. Uh, I, I'd be interested to see if that's how they go. But um, just from a, like a need standpoint, it feels like they're an obvious uh, one. But 49ers stats. Like, again, I've seen you rail against the idea of trading for Julio Jones, which is interesting to me because I think you view the 49ers as like a win now already a team that's ready to win now. despite the quarterback situation. So why shouldn't they trade for him? Because they're already depleted when it comes to draft picks after the Trey Lance deal. They have no first round pick for the next two years. And Julio Jones is 32 years old. He missed seven games last year due to injury. The 49ers do not need another guy who's been having problems staying healthy out on the field. That Their whole team is that guy. And I just don't look at whether it's the 49ers or really anybody, BLG. Is there anybody in the league right now where you look and say they are a number one wide receiver away from being a Super Bowl contender? Hmm. Not off the top of my head. Baltimore? But Maybe? I'm really bad at this. I'm really, I'm always like, RJ always do, does these questions on like the NFC mixtape. will be like, what's this thing? And I'm like, I don't know. You're just <laughs> asking me this off the cuff. I, I need time to think. I'm not a good, I'm not good on my feet. Um, Baltimore maybe. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say them, although, you know, they drafted some guys. They've sent me walking stats. What are you talking about? They're totally fine. That'll solve everything. Right. Week one, he'll put up 150 yards and then he won't play for eight weeks. Um, did you have anyone in mind when it comes to? No, that's hmm. my point is like, I know Julio Jones is really good, but I don't think that there's a team out there that all they need to do is acquire Julio Jones and now they're, you know, contending for the Super Bowl. Like, I don't think he's that much of a difference maker. And like I said, the Niners have a depleted inventory of draft picks. So I just don't know that they should be making that move. I don't know how much better he makes the 49ers. He makes them better, sure, without question. That much better compared to what you have to give up to get him? I don't know. Speaking of the idea of a missing piece stats, I'll transition this to Zach Ertz because there's been some talk out there that the Buffalo Bills might be the team trading for him. Uh, they cleared some cap space this week by restructuring Stefan Diggs, and everyone's like, oh, is that is that for Zach Ertz? And obviously, it feels like Zach Ertz is not going to be a member of the Eagles at some point here. There's been some talk stats that like the Eagles should just keep Zach Ertz. Like, I don't think that's going to happen because 
first of all, Zach Harris doesn't want to be in Philly. So you're trying <laughs> to convince a player who just doesn't want to be here. And he doesn't want to be here in part because like they failed to reach the contract extension. And I also feel like, like Zach Harris just feels like it's time. Like it's time to move on. Like I've done great things in Philly here, but like it's it's not the relationship isn't going to continue. And I think that's the case. And I also think, you know, from an Eagles perspective, I think people assume that like the Eagles want to keep him. And I don't think that's the case, stats. Like this is a guy who has a twelve point seven million cap number this year. That's third highest on the team. We're talking about a player entering his age thirty one season who's coming off a career worst year. I still think Zach Ertz can be effective in the NFL, but the Eagles stats are a team where the owner has like literally said these words, transition period. And Zach Ertz <laughs> is making all this money, an $8.5 million salary, There's some dead money in there if the Eagles, you know, trade or cut him. Um, but like, why are they keeping that guy if he's like, at the very most, Zach Ertz would be on the team for this year and this year only because he's going to be a free agent next year and you're not going to resign him because you have Dallas Goddard on the roster. Or if you do resign Zach Ertz, then you're probably not signing Dallas Goddard, who's the younger guy. So, like, the Eagles have to get rid of Zach Ertz. And I think that's why other teams know that and they're not going to give up anything for a guy that the Eagles might just have to cut. I think it might come to a point where the Eagles can get something for him. Like, we might be talking about like a conditional six round pick that turns into like a five i think some team might like just do that just to, just to sure they get him you know and he, like the eagles don't cut him and he goes somewhere else and they don't have the control um but then again it's tough to trade his salary because against 8.5 million dollars and that's a lot for a guy who wasn't good last year i don't know are teams gonna trade for him to be their starter i don't know and if they aren't then are you really going to want to give up a fifth round pick for a backup tight end probably not right I think he has to be a starter um, or at least, you know, if he's going somewhere, it's, you know, he's playing a lot. Maybe, you know, even a starter is, is subjective or relative, depending who else is on the roster. There it could be a lot of 12 personnel. Who knows? But uh, I think, you know, there's there are teams out there that make sense. I would like to see the Chargers get him. I don't think they are. Um, the Bills, they need a tight end. The Cardinals need a tight end. I think their top tight end right now is like Max Williams. Like that's really Oof. not... <laughs> yeah, it's not like cutting it. So like they can make a lot of sense. And again, uh, Zach Ertz being a West Coast guy, I'm sure he wouldn't mind going there. Not that that matters uh, necessarily at all or a ton. But um, yeah, so I think this is going to happen. But the the it's kind of funny stats because I think Eagle Sands have been looking at this like, all right, June 1, and then we're going to have resolution with the Zach Ertz situation. It isn't really necessarily like that. All the buzz has kind of been that like there isn't anything necessarily imminent. Because I think the Eagles are being stubborn. Howie Roseman's like, I'm not going to just let him go. Like, you have to give me what I want. And there was talk earlier this offseason, the Eagles wanted a third-round pick for him, which is just not going to happen. <laughs> and that's and that's fine, too. I mean, you know, shoot high, and then you obviously, you know, work your way down if you have to. But uh, I don't think it's going to even come close to a third. I think it's more like a fifth at best, and that might be optimistic. They might just have to cut him, which is kind of crazy. And I think the Eagles are really trying to avoid that. But, I mean, if teams just wait him out, like, again, I don't think the Eagles want him on the roster so they can't they, they can't just like hold on to him and be like well we're just going to keep him because that's not going to happen yeah it's got to be frustrating because Howie Roseman is a value guy and I'm sure in his mind Ertz has some value even if it's just like you said a fifth or a sixth round pick so and it's got to be hard for him to let that go but you're right other teams are not dumb and they know that chances are Philly just doesn't want him on the roster enough so the only way a deal gets done is exactly what you said a team pays a draft pick for the privilege of not having to compete with all the other teams if Ertz were to hit the open market. Uh, and I think he can still contribute. I think he's still a solid player. Um, but, yeah, his his future in Philly is clearly 
not uh, not long for this world. That is for sure. All right, BLG. So we do the show last week. I thought it was a good show. I was proud of it. I know you were proud of it. We got a lot of good feedback. I'm going about my business. And all of a sudden, I get a notification on my phone from Twitter that says someone mentioned me. And I look, and it's a tweet from Kyle Barber of Baltimore Beatdown. And it says, quite simply, all right, I'm here to argue with stats and BLG. I just finished the oddcast number 38, and I'm here to defend Lamar Jackson. If it has to be on Twitter, fine. But I'll also happily join your pod if you'd be so inclined to have me. Well, Kyle Barber, we are so inclined to have you. We thank you for the time. I've got the boxing gloves ready to go. Let's touch gloves and come out fighting. I was going to put on the UFC gloves. I figured there's going to be some more kicking and some more, you know, violence than just boxing. Boxing's getting a bad rap right now. All they got is uh, YouTube stars swinging at uh, old UFC fighters and former basketball players, but overall, I'm very happy to be here, and I appreciate you guys having me on. I mean, that's pretty awesome to be able to uh, join you guys. It's a podcast that I've been listening to since day one. Don't try and smooth it over. (laughs) Oh, I'm not smoothing anything over. I'm still very frustrated with what you have stated. I'm only saying that I've been on this, I've been listening to this podcast, whether I'm driving for Uber, whether I'm hanging out in the house, whatever it may be. I appreciate the pod, and I'm very thankful to be a part of it as well. But I'm ready to fight stats. I feel like we got to get into it. Uh, first of all, Kyle, I just want to thank you from, from my part for joining us. And obviously anyone who uh, is among Kyle's uh, state of mind where they're listening to us and they're, and they're angry and argue, I mean, come on, we'll, and we'll do it here. And I think that's, that's the fairest way to do it. Let's, so let's, let's get into it. What I think was your umbrage from listening to us talk about Lamar Jackson? You stated BLG. Yes. I have Lamar Jackson on here. And Mm -hmm. what here means from uh, last week's episode was most pressure to perform in 2021. And you stated, we haven't seen the playoff success from Lamar. Just because he hasn't won as many games as you would like doesn't mean that he has not been successful. I understand that there's a difference between being successful in the regular season and the postseason. But overall, he is 24 years old. He's the second ever unanimously unanimously selected league MVP. And there's no doubt in my mind that the Baltimore Ravens aren't re-signing him, which was another part of you guys, your you gentlemen's discussion, which was, do you re-sign Lamar if he does not win a playoff game. It's not whether or not he wins a playoff game. It's the team winning a playoff game and they struggle to do so. I mean, quarterback wins are not a quarterback stat, but it's unfair to also put playoff wins for Jackson as well. When like wins aren't a QB stat, it's a team stat. There's three phases of the, of the game. There's offense, defense, special teams. And I thought it was, uh, Unfair to put that on Lamar Jackson when he's one in two, one in three in the playoffs. And uh, what do you got for me? Well, I'll start off by reiterating here, Kyle, that Lamar Jackson, regular season quarterback, no question. Excellent elite level kind of player in terms of success. I mean, for quarterback wins, not being a stat, I will say, you know, he's 30 and seven as a starter in the regular season with a 102.6 career pass rating. You mentioned the MVP. There's no doubt, but I mean, I mean, the playoff success hasn't been there. I mean, you can talk about playoff games. He's won one playoff game singular. It's he's one and three in the 
postseason, as you know, passer rating of just 68.3. You know, obviously he brings rushing value as well, but he has five fumbles in the postseason. And I just feel like the way I was looking at this, Kyle, more recently is like, what is the precedent? Like, what is the template for a quarterback who has been very successful in the playoffs after they had such a poor start? And like, I can't think of one. I was going through some with stats here before the show. We looked at like Peyton Manning because he got off to a slow start. But again, he like, I mean, yeah, one of the best regular season players of all time. He's 14 and 13 in the playoffs. You look at Matt Ryan, similar boat. He's four and six in the playoffs. Tony Romo losing record in the playoffs. Like who is the quarterback that struggled out of the gate in the playoffs and then went on to be this like great playoff quarterback? That I don't have an answer for. Nicely done. You cornered <laughs> me. You locked me in here. You got the haymaker landed. Nicely done, BLG. But you still are saying, like, quarterback wins here. Like, you're still mm-hmm. stating, like, Lamar hasn't won these games. Well, Lamar, in that first uh, season, joined a 4-5 and five team and drug them to 10-6. and six. And I understand it's the regular season, but it was mainly on the shoulders of him and the rushing offense and what he created because Joe Flacco certainly wasn't being able to produce there. And then they run into the Chargers, which faced him – two weeks prior and uh, they had the tape on him. They were the first team to be able to play him twice and to analyze the film of their team specifically being able to perform against him. But overall the Ravens are all in on him. That was another thing that you gentlemen were mentioning is like whether or not to go all in on him. They've been all in since he became the starting quarterback for him. They changed their offensive scheme for him. They drafted players that he could be complimented by. They've drafted more wide receivers in the first round than they've ever done previously. They drafted Marquise Brown. They just got Rashad Bateman. They're trying to supply him with weapons and with offensive line talent. They re-signed Ronnie Stanley for him. And yes, that could be just looked at as, you know, signing a left tackle for any quarterback, but Overall, they are 100% in on him, and I don't see any way that the Ravens, even if uh, you know they go 10 and six, they go 12 and four, they go 17 and 0, you know, and then they lose in the first round. Jackson's still going to be the quarterback for the Ravens. There's no way you can find anybody like this or stumble upon Jackson, a Jackson tier quarterback or a level of uh, production that he produces. There's no no chance of it. So my thing here would be, you know, you're talking about how it's not just about Lamar Jackson as the team. But, I mean, the reality is, Kyle, like, Lamar Jackson's the one who's going to be getting the record-breaking contract. He probably might be the highest-paid quarterback in NFL history, like, when he gets his deal. And that's, like, that's a big deal. And then all of a sudden, when you're doing that, then the team around him, you're not going to have the same kind of assets that and, and like, resources that you've been able to surround him with now because all of a sudden you're paying that hefty quarterback contract. So that's that's my big thing, and that's that's important in the playoffs. Like, you need – if you're going to be paying – a quarterback, you know, that kind of record-breaking money. You need a guy who isn't just going to uh, perform at the level of how the team is playing around him, but to elevate the team. And I just don't think we've seen Lamar do that in the postseason. I agree with you that, I mean, they're probably going to sign him to this deal because that's what teams do. So, Kyle, I don't know if you can respond to that. I could do a quick response if you'd like. Sure. The first Titans game, his pass catchers dropped seven passes. The first was a tip from Mark Andrews, which was intercepted by Kevin Byard. Willie Sneed dropped a third and 12 pass, which arguably gets a first. He's right near the line on it. And Seth Roberts dropped a pass that would have been a 74-yard touchdown. Lamar can't make his receivers catch the ball. They didn't have more than, I believe, 10 drops during the 14-2 and season. And then they have seven 
in a singular game, and that puts him out of contention for being successful. He tried to elevate his team. He hit players in the hands. You know, uh, even my middle school football coach, because that's the only talented uh, level that I got in football, uh, said if it hits you in the hands, you got to catch it, no matter what. If it hits you in the hands, and he was hitting NFL caliber receivers, tight ends in the hands, and they were falling down and touching the turf instead of moving the chains. Well, so that gets into a larger issue because I would argue that the Ravens haven't really had NFL quality wide receivers in the Lamar Jackson era. It's frustrating to me. They seem to be frustrated by it. They recognize it. They tried to get Juju Smith-Schuster. That didn't work out. He said thanks, but no thanks. They tried to get T.Y. Hilton. He gave you the stiff arm. And I think it's because the system they run there Receivers do not want to play in that system. They don't get enough opportunity. Marquise Brown is liking and retweeting things on Twitter about how the receivers don't get the opportunity. They were dead last in the league last year in targets to wide receivers per game, less than 14. So how are you going to get the wide receivers that are going to catch those balls instead of dropping them if nobody wants to play in that system? You draft wide receivers like they've done with Marquise Brown with Rashad Bateman, Miles Boykin. Some of them turned out to be talented. Some of them, not so much. Boykin struggled. I understand that. They've drafted, you know, running backs. They've drafted tight ends. They had Hayden Hurst at one point before they traded him. They have Mark Andrews, Nick Boyle. They have weapons there. I understand that they're not the most successful weapons, but the Ravens have struggled to draft far before Lamar Jackson was even considered an NFL prodigy. They struggled to do so with uh, Joe Flacco. They struggled to do so back with Kyle Bowler and far beyond. So they've never been successful at that. And that's something that they've been trying to take more swings at. That's what Eric DaCosta stated is that they're trying to find NFL caliber receivers through the draft because as you guys mentioned with his contract coming up, yeah, it's going to cost a lot. So what do you got to do to fix that? You have to find rookie talent and they're finding offensive rookie talent at premier positions, trying to get him people that'll catch the football when he throws it and it hits them in the hands. So that's where it struggles. And I understand the scheme is different, but John Harbaugh talked about this as well. And if you want the stats and if you want the numbers, has stats, but if you want those parts to football, if you're wanting to catch touchdowns and you want to be this highlight real player, you know, uh, the Ravens might not be for you, but they're going to win football games. They're going to win football games. They're going to get into the dance frequently. And that's what they've done year after year, far before Lamar Jackson. And they've continued to do so with Lamar Jackson. Shouldn't the Ravens be paying Lamar now, though? Like, if it is this inevitability that they're going to sign him, like, don't you want to get him signed now? And like, because he's not going to get any cheaper in theory, unless he's really bad. But then you're not in a position where you're really then excited to pay someone who's coming off a bad season. So I guess, like, when should the Ravens pay Lamar? I believe as soon as possible, just as you mentioned, they are already in contract talks with him. Uh, He doesn't have an agent. I believe he and his mom represent him. So they're working on a deal. And it was previously mentioned when Lamar was at the podium, I believe last week, that a deal is trying to get worked on. He loves Baltimore. He wants to be here forever, said all the right things, and he's going to get paid. The Ravens love this quarterback. They have their future and their present with Lamar Jackson. There's no need to move on from him. I don't see why that was mentioned that you that you debate if he doesn't win a playoff game in 2021, should you pay Lamar Jackson or should you maybe walk and try to find somebody? Stats said you could just look to the draft or you could try to find somebody else. That is not easy to do. 
We've watched team after team try to just find their quarterback. We've watched John Elway stumble through with the Broncos for the last upteenth years after uh, Peyton Manning. We see teams year after year struggle to find their quarterback, their guy. Lamar Jackson's the guy. I assume both of you guys' squads would like to have a Lamar Jackson talent on there. I mean, he's a little bit better than Jalen Hurts. I understand that uh, you know the Niners, <laughs> the Niners might not have the scheme for him, but he most certainly would elevate any team that he's on. I believe. So a couple of things here because you mentioned two different angles. I want to get to one. You talked about the scheme, and I I like that the Ravens have gone all in. But I just wonder, like, there's it's one thing to zig when everybody else is zagging, and it's another thing to just not not scheme your offense geared toward the rules of the league that you play in. Like, everything in the league is geared toward the pass game. Everything. You can't touch receivers. You can't touch quarterbacks. It's It's never been easier to pass the ball, and the Ravens are going in the complete opposite direction with their offensive system which is a little crazy to me because we've seen Lamar lead the league in touchdown passes. That is true, but they did so with the scheme that they had. They ran this scheme that was very heavy in uh, rushing. They have talented running backs and tailbacks and fullbacks and Pat Ricard being able to rush for NFL record-breaking amounts. You know, They shattered the uh, all-time NFL rushing record by a team. And they did so, and they were throwing touchdown passes as well. They're successful in it. And yeah, it's not wide receiver structured, but if a tight end catches a touchdown pass, is it any more or less valuable than if a wide receiver catches that ball? So my th- part of this going back to like the contract part of it, Kyle, is that and like questioning like if you can pay him if he doesn't win the playoff game. I just think it's crazy like conceptually. And it could be a situation where Lamar very much is the best option and the loss isn't his fault necessarily. And this is, you know, assuming they get to the playoffs. Um, but like it's just like when you're just at the end of the day, when you're just looking bottom line and you're seeing a quarterback who let's say they make to the playoffs and they lose in the first round again. Uh, or whatever they get to buy, they lose their first playoff game, and they're he's one in four in the playoffs at that point. And you're giving this guy again; it's going to be like the, it's probably going to be the most lucrative contract in NFL history. I would just argue like the place you don't want to be in the NFL is when you have this big money quarterback and he can't get it done in the postseason. Then you're just stuck. I completely agree with that. The Ravens are one of the testing samples of that with Joe Flacco. Uh, they were off in their arguments against one another, I believe, by $3 million before the season had started. And Joe Flacco didn't want to sign the deal. He bet on himself. And he threw 11 touchdown passes, zero interceptions, and uh, won a Super Bowl, Super yes, Bowl 47, won aware. the Super we Bowl are, MVP. We are all aware that Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. Who did they beat? They beat both the San Francisco 49ers and Roger Goodell when he tried to shut out the lights to uh, stop the absolute blowout that that game was. Please, if James Jones, that kick return, gets called back for the blatant hold that happened, it's a whole different ballgame. I have no idea what you're talking about. Jacoby (laughs) Jones was talented. He produced an an awesome uh, display on the field during that game, and uh, I see no issue with that. He should have been I, the MVP. I believe so. I agree with you there. I definitely agree with you there. But getting back to this contract discussion that you're that you're on, the Ravens have been wanting to, I assume, sign him for the last few months, and they're working on a deal. The difference between signing him 
uh, three months ago and now hasn't really changed much just because sure. the only deals that have come out uh, was Mahomes a couple, what, last year or two years ago, excuse me? Last year. Okay, thank you. And like until it's Josh Allen signing his deal or Lamar signing their deal, it's just uh, there's nothing changing about the timing and the size of that contract. If he plays through this season, that could change, and it's very dependent upon his production, and they could either win that gamble or they could lose it like they did with Joe Flacco previously. I agree with you that if you sign a, a quarterback that's not successful in the playoffs, in the postseason, that your team is going to be stuck. I agree with that. I think it was stats that said it in a previous episode that what needs to be done eventually should be done immediately. And I love that phrase because it makes so much sense. Like the Ravens struggled with uh, playing Mark Ingram when he was only getting one yard on first downs. They kept (laughs) handing him the ball and he wasn't doing anything. And then they put J.K. Dobbins in during the back half of the season. They put in Gus Edwards and all of a sudden their rushing attack is back to over 200 rushing yards per game. Lamar deserves the contract. I believe he's earned a contract. I don't think it'll be the most ever. I think that's an interesting argument, BLG, because I think Mahomes has set the bar. And I think Lamar could argue for more guaranteed, but I don't think he's going to get the most uh, amount of money in the, you know, the terms and the agreements and everything that that goes on with it. I think he's going to get absolutely paid, but that's just what you have to do with successful quarterbacks with the, you know, with the league MVP, the second ever unanimous, unanimously selected MVP after uh, Tom Brady. The real crusher with the Flacco deal was that he played the best he's ever played and then they re-signed him and he never reached that level of play again. You mentioned the MVP year with Lamar multiple times, and it was incredible. But isn't it entirely possible that we have already seen the best Lamar Jackson that we are going to see? And if that's the case, is it then worth committing that much money to whoever the the person may be? I think they really caught lightning in a bottle that year. I think he they didn't have enough tape on him from opposing defenses. I think the Ravens had this brilliant structured offense. They had, you know, playmakers just about everywhere. You know, the offensive line was dominant. They had Orlando Brown Jr. They had Ronnie Stanley. They had Marshall Yonda. Everybody was just strong, powerful, and the scheme was built for every single player on there. And I don't know if we've seen Lamar at his ceiling. He's 24 years old. He'll be 25 in January. So he has this full season to play before he's even hit 25 years old. He's incredibly young and maybe this, maybe 36 touchdowns and breaking the NFL rushing record and what he you know produced in that season is his peak, but that's an incredible peak. And I assume anybody would ask for that from their quarterback. And if he doesn't perform to that level of expectations, I think you can still pay him and be successful with, who he is, who the team has around him, the coaching staff, the players that they have. They have blue chip players at a lot of premier positions. And that's not just on the offense, but it's on defense as well. And they are the Ravens are successful in drafting, maybe not a wide receiver, as I mentioned previously, but they can draft talented players. And overall, that's what you have to do to be successful in the NFL if you pay your after you pay your rookie quarterback, you got to be able to find talent elsewhere. You got to find cheap talent elsewhere. And there's nothing better, nothing better than doing so in, uh, in the, in the NFL draft. 
And that pressure goes up if you're paying your quarterback big money. Um, last question for me, and that is, when does the heat start to turn up on Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator there? Because Lamar is a is a good player. I think he's a, he's a better passer than he gets credit for. I, I know that they want to cater the offense to his skills, and I think that they should. But that doesn't mean that this is the only style offense that they can run. If they have a good regular season and can't get it done in the playoffs again, when do people say, hey, maybe the problem is that when teams have extra time and they ratchet up the pressure in the playoffs, Greg Roman's scheme is not complicated enough to get the job done? That's already been the case. Uh, A lot of Raven, almost the entire Ravens fan base was rather surprised that Greg Roman is still on the coaching staff. He has done a lot of successful things with them. You've seen the numbers. We've talked about the numbers. But overall, you are completely and totally right that I think most of the blame isn't on Lamar. It isn't on the defense. The defense has performed admirably. It's on the offensive scheme and the lack of creativity and also too much creativity at times (laughs) trying to go with an option pitch on third and eight against the Titans at one point, I believe. And it's already on the hot seat is already hot. And I think within six weeks, probably if I'm remembering the schedule, I know they already play KC in week two. They play the Raiders in week one. They're they I believe by week six, they play the entire AFC West. So I think by that time, we're going to have a, an understanding of the Ravens offense. And we're going to have an understanding on whether or not Greg Roman sticks through it. And uh, this is actually a time that I want to apologize to Kyle Posey of a different show here because I argued that Greg Roman would be an excellent compliment to the, at the time, Deshaun Watson-led Texans when they were doing their coaching staff search and their head coaching search. And I was like, there's no reason why he shouldn't have Greg Roman on his list. And I was very much wrong by the end <laughs> of the season. So, Kyle, if you listen, I apologize. And I'm taking my licking here on this episode. All right. I feel like we've sufficiently beat you. It's two on one. I don't want to like completely grind you into dust. I feel like we've, we've sufficiently defended ourselves. Uh, BLG, how do you feel? I feel good. I will continue to hate on Lamar Jackson all season long, just despite. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't think I'm a. I don't think I'm a Lamar hater. I, I don't. I think I've been pretty fair about him. And I think mm-hmm. even I think more people earlier on in his career were like, "Oh, he can't win the playoffs," and it was just like the first year or two. And it's like, well, you know, give him a little bit of time. But now it's getting to the point where like, which just goes back to the you know the crux of the episode last week. Like, we need to see it. We need to see something this year. I just feel like we need to see. And, and maybe it's not going to change, you know, if he's going to get a contract or not. But I just think it would be really nice to, you know, see a little bit more from Lamar this year in the, in the postseason. It doesn't have to be winning the Super Bowl. But, like, you know, let's get another playoff win at least. Like, another one and done would be pretty disappointing. I completely agree there. Like, the Ravens' expectations are Super Bowl or bust. They've been that way for the last three years because they had so much talent on cheap deals. And they were looking to produce like that. It's rather frustrating that it hasn't occurred. And uh, overall, like that's what the expectations are. Yes, there's going to be obvious disappointment if the Ravens do not produce in the postseason yet again. But it's not just Lamar producing or not producing, unless his stat line's horrible. And then we can call him out. I believe mm-hmm. you guys have been really fair with Lamar too, by the way. And uh, I like overall, yes, I agree. There needs to be production in the postseason, not just the potential of the Ravens in their offense and their scheme. But I don't think winning or losing in the playoffs being one and done or not is going to impact his contract unless, uh, 
it's rather significant in what he perf- performed in and produced with. I agree. Uh, Kyle, I want to thank you for coming on. I appreciate you calling us out when you think it's necessary and being willing to come on and address it uh, from Baltimore Beatdown. By the way, before we go, I want to mention they have an incredible thing happening at Baltimore Beatdown right now. It's called The Forgotten Dynasty, an oral history of the Baltimore Colts. It is, they have interviews. They ha- It is a complete narrative that I love because I feel like the history of football is almost being forgotten in some places. I mean, we're, people are legitimately arguing that Jerry Rice is not the greatest wide receiver of all time. And so when you go back to Johnny Unitas and the Baltimore Colts, like people don't understand how good these guys were and some of the stories that made them great. So I really like to see that. You should definitely go to Baltimore Beatdown and check that out, uh, Kyle. It is a great idea by you guys. Yeah, Jake is the one that you know really spearheaded this. He and I talked about it. Just he he displayed the idea to me, and uh, I was like, dude, if you can run with it, absolutely go for it. And I'm incredibly proud of uh, Jake Luke on creating this masterpiece. And uh, I'm sitting down and listening to every episode uh, as it drops each week. And I'm I'm proud that uh my you know this site Baltimore Beatdown is able to uh, kind of have their name a part of it and attached to uh, Jake's work. It's been it's been pretty special. And there's actually a tease of that series on uh, Monday Football Monday here on the SB Nation NFL show. So go listen to Monday's episode if you didn't already to kind of get a taste of it and then go listen to the whole thing at Baltimore Beatdown. Thanks again to Kyle for the time. We always appreciate it. Anybody out there, if you have an issue with something we say on the show, let us know. We would love to talk about it. Come on the show and we will have it out. All right, BLG, let's take a break. And when we come back, the odds for coach of the year are out. And you and I both think the absolute worst bet you can make is the favorite. We'll explain when we come back. We are back here on the SB Nation NFL show, and the odds for Coach of the Year are out, BLG, in case you forgot. Kevin Stefanski won it last year, taking the Browns to the playoffs, which basically no one has done in, I don't know, seemingly 100 years. And the odds are out. These are from points bet. And the favorite is the current Coach of the Year, Kevin Stefanski, at plus 1,200. How does that make any sense, Stats? How are you – like, what is what does Kevin Stefanski need to do to win this award? Like, to me, it's like almost go undefeated or like, you know, one or two losses or something. Like, I, I don't understand how – you know, because we talk about this award, like, it's not just about what you do. It's about, like, narrative. And I don't understand – I mean, I guess you could be like, he's – you know, he not only did he get the Browns to the playoffs once, he did it in back-to-back years. But I don't know. That doesn't seem like enough for me. The way you win this award is not to have a great year. It's to exceed expectations. That is how you win Coach of the Year. That is how Jimmy Johnson once won Coach of the Year in 1990 with a 7-9 and record. He didn't even have a winning record, and he won Coach of the Year because it's about exceeding expectations. Yeah, I, I think it's crazy. I think, like, so kind of getting ahead a little bit here, stats on this same list, the very bottom, I believe at plus 8,000 to win Coach of the Year, is David Culley, the Texans head coach. And I like that's, I mean, if we're talking about, you know, the look, I'm no um, uh, expert here. I'm not like writing for DraftKings Nation over here. But to, to me, I'm looking at that. I'm like, like David Culley, his bar for success is so much lower. Like if the Texans win seven games this year, like he should be in the conversation, especially if Deshaun Watson isn't playing, obviously. Like that, like that would be nuts. I just, I don't know what Steven, Kevin Stefanski can do to really have everyone feeling like, oh, the, this guy, he's the coach of the year again. 
I totally agree. I If I had to put my money on one of those two, I think the better bet is David Culley than Kevin Stefanski. Only three play, oh, players, only three coaches, BLG, have ever won the award in back-to-back years. And the last guy to do it was Joe Gibbs almost 40 years ago. It doesn't happen for a reason. Uh, just so you know, in case you want to place a bet, after Kevin Stefanski, there is a tie. It's Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Brandon Staley of the Chargers and Brian Flores of the Dolphins are all next on the list. They are at plus 1,500. Who in that group would you put your money on? Well, I've said it before, Stats, and I'll say it again. Since the Chargers are winning the AFC West this year, I'm going to take Brandon Staley. And I, honestly, though, I think like that is such a trump card if he can do that. It's like, hey, I won the division that has Patrick Mahomes in it, and potentially, let's say Aaron Rodgers joins too. Like Oof. that would be a that would be a big freaking like that's to me. If you're able to do that, which is not an easy thing to do, like what can you really argue with? Barring you know maybe let's say like the Dolphins went like you know they only had two losses or something, but barring some other extremely per- impressive performance from another team uh i I think uh and brandon staley i think he has the the hype too i think you're talking about narrative like this is a guy a lot of people were excited about for you know the work he did with the the rams defense last year and i think if he has a strong first year with the chargers i think he can having justin herbert there like i think if this chargers team finally like makes it to that next level and finally lives up to the hype that they always get and they always fail to live up to then i think he makes the most sense If he wins the West, I think you can book it. I agree with you. The fact that he would have won the division with Patrick Mahomes in it, I agree. Like, that could be the clincher. Even if they went 0-2 against the Chiefs, I still think he would get it because, (laughs) like, there's so much respect for Mahomes. Uh, After that group of people, next up on the list goes Frank Reich in Indy, Sean McDermott, Mm -hmm. Arthur Smith in Atlanta, Andy Reid, and Robert Sala with the Jets are all plus 1,800. You know, Robert Sala's sneaky, too, kind of for the same reasons we talked about with David Culley. The the expectations for the Jets are super low. They look so hideous with Adam Gase there. If Robert Sala just looks competent, just looks average, he's going to look so much better than what we've seen from the Jets. And if Zach Wilson can play a little bit right out of the gate, he's a sneaky pick at plus 1,800. I wouldn't mind throwing some money on that one. Yeah, I could see him winning it if the Jets won like nine games. You know, if they go nine and eight, and maybe like maybe potentially that's good enough for the seventh spot, like in the wild card, maybe. Uh, and maybe maybe even if not, and no other team is like really you know like surprisingly impressive, and it's kind of just chalk. Then then maybe that's enough. I did see his name, and I thought about that. You know, Frank Reich is an interesting name in there, just because I think you know if Carson Wentz rebounds, then he has a great. Like he's like, hey, I fixed Carson Wentz, and that'll be the big narrative, and that'll be a big thing in his favor. And I think a lot of people will be talking about, oh, you know, Frank Reich uh, went through the slew of quarterbacks, you know, and he finally found the one that worked. And so there would be a lot of he has a he's a decent shot too. Now, obviously, you have to have faith in Carson Wentz, which is a big uh, <laughs> it's a wager I'm not willing to make. But like the path is there, like that if he can make it work, then he easily could be in consideration. I agree with you. It's really weird to me that Sean McVay is at plus 1,500 and Frank Reich is at plus 1,800. It's sort of opposite situations, right? Like if the Rams are really good this year, Matthew Stafford's going to get all the credit because it's going to be like they traded for this guy and Keek was clearly the missing piece and now he's really good and the Rams are good. 
But if the Colts are really good this year, you're right. I think Frank Reich is going to get all the credit for fixing Carson Wentz. So to me, when we're talking strictly coach of the year odds, I think Reich should have the odds that Sean McVay has just for the exactly the reason you stated. Carson Wentz is not going to get any of the credit if he plays well. Well, as we said before on the show, I mean, Sean McVay just gets too much hype. It's, it's overhyped. And that's, by the way, that's another reason I think that works in Brandon Staley's favor. Because Staley is almost viewed as like defensive McVay. And obviously he works yes. with him too. So yep. he has that like connection there. And I think like people are going to jump on that. Like, and especially in him being young too, it's like, oh, wow, look how young he is. And he's doing like <laughs> all that is working in, in Staley's favor to take it back to him. But yeah, I, I totally agree with your point that like, like why, how should Sean McVay win? Like what, like how could that even, it's almost, it's not quite the same as Stefanski because he didn't win last year, but he won a couple of years ago. And it's just like, and the Rams have been, you know, pretty good since like, what more does he, like they would have to, you know, again, like have one or two losses basically going into the playoffs and like, just be like the dominant NFC team. And even then um, that might be enough, but it, it totally depends what everyone else does too. I agree with you. I almost think that the coach of the year award is almost like a rite of passage. It's almost about like crowning like the next young hot head coach. Very rarely, I feel like, does it go to a guy that's been around for a while, like a Belichick or an Andy mm. Reid. It's always like, oh, let's give it to McVay. Let's give it to the, the young guy. Like that, I feel like, is where the coach of the year award is going. Like Andy Reid has no shot. To win coach of the year. The only no. way Andy Reid wins coach of the year is if the Chiefs go 20 and all like Patrick Mahomes yeah. is talking about. Yeah, that's it. They'd have to they'd have to go undefeated. And even then, like they'd have to go undefeated and you couldn't have another great story in the NFL. Like that's like again, if 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 another team like if if the Chiefs go, let's say well, it's obviously a regular season award. So, you know, forget 20 no, forget the regular season perfect record, um, that would probably do it. I'm guessing that would clinch it. But let's say they lost like one or two games, then that's not good enough. And again, at the same time, if the Texans are winning somehow like seven or eight, then they're probably just going to win it because every, like everyone's going to say, "Oh, that's a nice story." Like, wow, who could have thought that would have happened? Wherever everyone with the Chiefs will be like, they did what was expected. Like, no one is shocked or surprised. It's not like exciting. It's like, oh wow, look what the Chiefs did. No, it's like they did what everyone thought they would do. Exactly. I mean, here's all you need to know. Bill Belichick has won three Coach of the Year awards. Ron Rivera and Bruce Arians have two. And I'm sorry, but Bill Belichick has been a better coach for way more than one season than Ron Rivera and Bruce Arians. But we like to give it to the young guy. I mean, Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy was Coach of the Year in 2018, and his job is hanging by a thread. And you think he can win it this year, potentially, or at least not not like you said he's a favorite, but you you think there's a path for him to win it again. I think there is. I think if Justin Fields balls out, I think people will say, well, see, if you give Matt Nagy somebody that's not Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles, he, he can do great things. He is a good offensive head coach. And, you know, I mean, the Bears haven't had a good quarterback like ever. It's it's mm-hmm. unbelievable that certain franchises haven't done that. If Justin Fields goes nuts, I, I think that Nagy's a sneaky pick. I wouldn't put any money on it, but I don't think that's a crazy bet. That's a better bet to me than Kevin Stefanski. How many winning seasons does Kyle Shanahan have again? Kyle Shanahan has one winning season in his four years as 49ers head coach, and he got stiffed out of the award in 2019. John Harbaugh won the award because the Ravens went 14-2. and two. And then how many winning seasons does Matt Nagy have? I don't know. I assume it's more than one. He's never had a losing season. Really? Yeah. 
That okay, that like you definitely could have won some money off of me on that. I never would have <laughs> said that. He's never had a losing season. Look at that. 12 and 4, 8 and 8 and 8 and 8. You sneaky bastard. Well, I'm reading it off here off of uh, NBC Sports as Patrick Darty. 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 Totally saying it. Totally, sorry, Patrick. Really love the ranking. Rotopat, as I should call him. Much easier. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, he had, did his head coach rankings recently, and he had Nagy at number 16, and that was like that factoid led off – or sorry, uh, number 18, and that factoid led off the uh, thing there, and I was like, wow, that is true. Um, interesting because I'm not the biggest Nagy guy, but it would be – in terms of – we're talking about narrative story. I mean, pretty pretty good – like the guy who should have been, everyone, everyone agreed probably should have been fired somehow comes back and leads and has the bears with like a quarterback playing the best ever that the bears have seen, or at least one of from a quarterback and also potentially like making the postseason and not having a losing record once again. So uh, I think it's tough because he's already won it again, like kind of same thing with McVay there. I think it's just really hard to do that, but uh it makes more sense than I originally thought. I just, I wonder how Fields is going to produce as a rookie. I still, you know, I'm not, I'm not an anti Justin Fields guy. I feel like I have to clarify this all the time. I'm not rooting against Justin Fields. I'm just saying I am not assuming he's instantly going to come in and be great. No questions asked. That's, that's all my stance is on that. So, so we'll see about that one. Clearly you hate Justin Fields. You've hated him <laughs> for a long time. You can go back and listen to the slander on this show. That's going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief. If you have your Coach of the Year candidates, let us know. Leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Throw in your two cents about Coach of the Year. I promise you we will read it on the show. Rate, review, subscribe. BLG, thank you very much. Enjoy your Wednesday, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week.